Hey, this is Pastor Ellie, one of the lead pastors of Bold Church. I wanted to say thank you for joining us today. If you want to stay up to date on everything that's happening at Bold Church, want to live stream a service, or find out when our next gathering is, head over to bold.church. Enjoy the message. Good morning. Who's excited for church today? Come on. Can we ask one more time, who is excited for church? Come on. Uh, There are two times during the year, let me just, before we begin, tell you that there are two times during the year where if you invite a friend or a loved one, they will, nine times out of ten, will not reject your invitation to church. And those two times are Christmas and Easter. So in two weeks from today, my question is, who are you inviting? Come on. Uh, We have an amazing Christmas service planned for you. Believe me when I say this, this room will be packed come early. Uh, It's going to be amazing. We're going to have a a full choir. The kids are going to sing. The presence of God is going to be here. It's a Sunday you do not want to miss. And we are in a collection of talks titled, Again, Do It Again in Our Day, Lord. And it's a collection of talks that we are going through the book of Habakkuk. And we have been walking through this book for the last three weeks. And honestly, this this collection of talks was really birthed out of a season where I was dealing massively with depression. In 2021, when we could not return to in-person gatherings, we spent the next year and a half, 18 months at 5 o'clock, and we did not grow, we didn't reach people, and it was extremely discouraging. And I began to read this book, and it began to encourage me in a season where I, I, it gave me hope when I was hopeless. So before we begin, let me quickly pray, because I got a lot to preach, amen? Let me just pray. God, thank you so much, Lord, for what you are doing in this church. God, it is amazing to see, God, in In less than one year, God, you've almost doubled our church, God, since coming to this building. And God, you're not done. And God, before you did the growth, we began to declare your goodness and sang of it, Lord. And we're just believing, God, that you're not done. That what you did back then, you're going to do again. That there were two great revivals in America, God, and we're believing for a third one's going to come. That, Lord, we believe that what is declared by so many in this valley as the most unchurched region in the entire country. This valley will be known as one of the the epicenters of the great moves of God in this country. We love you, Lord. We praise you, God. We came in one way, God, but we want to come out another. And if you believe that, everybody said? Everybody said? Can we give it up for Jesus real quick? Come on. If you have not been following along with this, and today's your first day. Let me quickly catch you up. The book of Habakkuk is written by a prophet, self-titled Habakkuk. And uh, he is a prophet 2,600 years ago. For those of you who went to public school, that's 600 years before Jesus. And uh, he is a prophet. What prophets do is they hear from God, and then they tell the people what God says. But what the book of Habakkuk is so unique, is so different than every other book of the Bible, is that Habakkuk spends all of his time listening to the people and then going and yelling at God. And the entire book is, there is no dialogue between God and the people. It is the book of Habakkuk is written entirely to God and him complaining. And he's got some issues. He's got some anger. He's got some frustration with God. God, where are you? God, do you even hear where I'm going through? God, I'm praying. It feels like you're not listening. Has anyone ever been there before where you're suffering? You have setbacks. There is issues in your family, at work. And every time you pray, it feels like it falls on deaf ears. And there are many of you in this room that you're afraid to pray those prayers. You, you think those thoughts, but you don't pray those thoughts. And I, I said this a couple weeks ago, I'll say it again. If you can't yell at God, are you really friends with God? And in week one of this collection of talks, we, we titled it Questioning God, that you are allowed, you are encouraged to give your anger, your frustration to God. Question him. And that's exactly what Habakkuk does. He goes, God, where are you? God, I'm 
praying to you and it feels like you're not listening and he's got some issues and out of nowhere, God shows up and says, I'm gonna do something above and beyond anything you think or ask or imagine. But it's not gonna be what you think I'm gonna do. And Habakkuk hears God's response. He goes, I'm gonna raise up your enemy and he's gonna beat you up. So hide your kids and hide your wife because I'm coming. And Habakkuk, imagine how discouraged he is. He's been praying for weeks, if not months, and the answer he hears is not the answer he wants. Anyone ever read the Bible and the word of God upsets you? Anyone ever read the, God, the word of God and it's like, man, this is not what I wanted to hear. And this is exactly where Habakkuk is. And many people in this moment where you expect the character of God to do this, and he does that. Theologians call that a crisis of faith where you expect God should do this. I expect him to do this, but he doesn't. And the gap between those two causes many people in the house of God to walk away from God forever. And Habakkuk teaches us what to do in those moments. His name, his name means to wrestle. And a couple weeks ago, I almost wore a, a, a wrestling outfit, but I didn't want anyone to leave the faith. You know what I'm talking about? And if you're wondering what I'd look like in a, in a wrestling outfit, just Google Borat bathing suit and you'll, you'll get that image. And but if you are praising God, it didn't do that. And Habakkuk, he wrestles with God. And in chapter 2, he is done wrestling. He's prayed every prayer he can pray. He's done wrestling. He's exhausted. He's tired. And it's finally week 2. We learn sometimes you just got to shut up and listen. That our God is not a question, does he speak? The question is, have you positioned yourself to hear from him? Because he's a speaking God. He wants to speak to you. He spoke the world into existence. He speaks to the prophets. He spoke most clearly through his son, and he wants to speak with you. The question is not, does God speak? question is, are you like Psalm 46? Will you be still and silent and know that he is God? For those of you that speak Spanish, that's silencio, por favor. And if you're a little bit more ratchet, callete. Trying to learn Spanish for half the room. And Habakkuk teaches us there are times in life where you have no answers. You're done praying, and it's just time to shut up and listen to what God wants to say. But my question for you this morning is, what do you do when you've wrestled with God? What do you do when you've prayed every prayer you know how to pray? You've thrown every complaint you know how to throw. You've given him all your worry, all your anxiety in your heart, all your depression. You've taken time to shut up and listen, and you've sat in his presence, and you're still, and now you're waiting, and you're waiting. And there's no answer. There's no miracle. There's no hope. What do you do in those moments? In week one, it was questioning God. Week two, it was shut up and listen. In week three, the title of my sermon today is simply this. Worship God no matter what. In the waiting. In the depression. In the anxiety. In the waywardness of your spouse leaving you. In the waywardness of your children walking away from God. In those moments when you don't feel like worshiping, or when you give God everything. That's when you worship him. And then let me just acknowledge the painful reality is most of you don't even like worshiping God on your good days. How do I know this? This room is empty at 10 o'clock. You all show up 10 minutes after the hour, right? That's your good day. Now I'm asking you to worship God on your bad day. You're going to do online church. You're not even come in the room. What do you do when anxiety is here, when your depression is here, when your body's still sick, when your boss is still crazy, when your marriage is still broken, you want me to do what, Pastor Ali? Yes, I'm asking you to 
Give God what you don't feel like giving. That's why it's called a sacrifice of praise. I want you to worship God even when you don't feel like it. And that's exactly what Habakkuk does. Habakkuk chapter 3, starting at verse 2. I'm going to just pause and let you know, I for on purpose skipped verse 1. And I'm going to come back to it. I want you to remember that for a reason. Lord, I have heard. Someone say heard. heard. I have heard of your fame. I stand. Someone say stand. Stand in awe of your deeds. And he's essentially saying, I'm looking back. I'm remembering what you did, God. I'm looking back at the times that you, you saved me, you rescued me, you came through in my life. He's remembering the goodness and the faithfulness of God. He's not talking about the deeds that God is going to do. He's not talking about the deeds that God did today. He's saying, I remember what you did last year. I remember what you did five years ago. And he's, it's building something in him while he begins to look back. And then he says this very powerful word, renew. Someone say renew. Renew, renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. Some of you translations say the word revival. It's this Hebrew word, chaye. can't even pronounce it. You need like popcorn in your throat. It means to renew or revive or restore. And essentially Habakkuk is saying, God, I, I know who you are. I know what you're capable of. You're the God who spoke the world into existence. You, you saved me. You saved our people, not just once, time and time again. And God, what is sick and is not, what, 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 what is sick and used to be healthy? Make it healthy again. God, what is broken but used to be whole? Fix it again. God, what is dead in my marriage and used to be alive? Bring it back again, God. And he's basically calling out to God, God, do it again. This is why we get the collection of talks from. Do it again, Lord. Is this very verse, God, you did it once. Can you do it again? And I wonder if that's the cry of your heart, that there was a time where you used to walk with God. You used to see him do things. And will you say, God, would you do it again? And I love that this prayer is not some ratchet person praying this. This is the most holy Faithful man. This, is, this man is paid to spend time with God. And he's praying some honest prayers. Saying, God, would you, would you do it again? My question is, how do we worship God when you don't feel like it? Wow. Point number one, if you're taking notes, is this. Remember what God has done. Someone say, remember. remember. He's saying, God, I'm looking back. God, I'm, I'm remembering. And if you're, if you're not catching this, this is an intentional Focus, practice. This is a spiritual discipline, by the way. Just as prayer is a spiritual discipline, just like worshiping God is a spiritual discipline, remembrance, listen to me, is a spiritual discipline. You need to practice this in those moments where you feel hopeless. Where does hope come from? Listen, it does not come from the mirror like Tony Robbins. You're awesome. You're a snowflake. No, Habakkuk teaches us you look to what God did. Watch what happens in Habakkuk 3, verse 3. God came from Taman, the Holy One, from Mount Paran. Someone say Paran. Selah. I remember reading this for years, going, what the heck is that word? Because no one in our culture uses this word. This word is very often shows up in the Old Testament, often in the, in the book of Psalms, and in, often in the prayers of the saints. And it's this word that literally in Hebrew means pause and reflect. I just said something amazing. I need you to pause and reflect. And what Habakkuk is saying is, go back to verse 3. It says, Mount Paran. 
Now, many of you who are new to the scriptures, you don't know what happened at Mount Paran. Let me remind you, for 400 years, Israel, they were slaves in the land of Egypt. And for 400 years, they prayed, God, save us. God, rescue us. And it felt like God wasn't listening to their prayers. Because after one generation after another, they kept praying this prayer, and God did not show up. And then one day, he raised up a deliverer by the name of Moses. And Moses came to the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he said, God wants to let you know that you're not God, he is. Let my people go. And 10 times Pharaoh said, no, those are my people. They're my property. I'm not letting them go. And 10 times, there were 10 plagues against the Egyptians. And the 10th one was the most dangerous. The 10th one was the most damaging. It killed the firstborn and everyone in Egypt. Not just human, by the way. Animal too. So you, those of you who love dogs, they, goodbye fluffy, you know? And cats, they all deserve to die anyway. So it's good that they died. But the only reason that the, the, Egyptian, the, the, the Jewish people didn't experience that death is they took an innocent lamb that was sinless, spotless, and they took its blood and put its blood over the doorpost. And in, in faith, they said, the death will pass over us. And if you are in Christ, if you have the blood of Jesus over you, your message saying, I may die physically, but spiritual death will pass over me. And Pharaoh upset, weary, finally lets the Egyptians go. And three days later, after letting a million and a half people go into the desert to worship God, he gets upset and sends his entire army to go after Israel. And God has to do yet another miracle. He has to separate the Red Sea. And the Egyptians cross the Red Sea. And let me remind you, have you ever walked in a riverbank barefoot? The, the ground is muddy and often it's three or four inches of just Pure slush mud. And the Bible says that when the the waters of the Red Sea separated, they walked on dry ground. Because God cares even about the details. That's how much he cares for you. And as they crossed, the, the, the Egyptians came into the Red Sea and the waters killed them all. And God, after these massive miracles, in Mount Paran says, I want to be your God. Will you be my people? And what Habakkuk is saying is, I remember the God who saved us from slavery. I remember the God who saw me in bondage, in brokenness, in depression, and he saved me once, and it's building something in him. It's triggering faith. This is the power of remembrance. That when you don't feel like worshiping God, you look back to what he did, and it builds faith in you. Because if he did it once, come on, how many know he can do it again? And if he did it for my neighbor, maybe he'll do it for me. Maybe if he did it for that guy, maybe, maybe he'll do it for my family. And this is why you will never stumble into remembrance. And this is why it's so important. You focus on what you focus on. Because if you focus on the wrong thing, it will build fear. But if you focus on the character of God, it builds faith. I wrote it like this. No, 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 no. I, I, maybe I didn't write it. It says, don't let your pain write your story. Let the faithfulness of God write it. And there are too many of you, you're looking at your depression, you're looking at your marriage, you're looking at your finances, and you're looking at your problem, and that's writing your tomorrow. And too many of you need to move away from your problems and remember who God is. And this is, this is not like you're going to trip and fall into this. This has to be a discipline. This has to be a practice. Meaning what, Pastor Ali? You've got to put it in the calendar. This is what communion is, by the way. Remembrance of what God did for you. And there are two things about remembrance I want to tell you. The first one is this, God commands it. 
This is not an optional thing that, oh, Pastor, I will do this, but I'm Gucci. No, 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 no. You need this too. 160 times in the Bible, God commands us to remember. 300 times he says the word remember, remember. And I didn't even count because it's too numerous the number of times God says don't forget, which is essentially the same word as remember. Deuteronomy 6 says this, be careful that you do not forget. Someone say, do not forget. Do not forget the Lord. In Deuteronomy 8, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert. He didn't put you in the desert and say, deuces, good luck with this. He, he's not just the God of the valley. He's not the God of the mountain. He's the God of the valley and the mountain. He's the God that will walk with you in the shadow of death. Amen? He's the God that even on your worst days will prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies. But you can't say that he's your shepherd until you know, until you've walked that path and said, man, if he did it once, he saved me. Man, he can do it again. And you can hype yourself up or you can give yourself hope on the character of God. And that's what God is telling Habakkuk. That's what he's saying. And I love this verse, Psalm 10. Do not forget the helpless. Do you know Israel was one of the most generous nations because God had helped them when they were helpless and so they began to give others. They helped the widow and the orphan when no other country was doing those things. And that became the testimony of us. Jeremiah 29, when, when you read, oh, for the plans I know I have for you, every high school graduation, that's, that, that verse is used. But it's actually... Right before Israel falls, it says, I want you to bless Babylon. I want you to bless your enemies. I want you to plant trees, build homes, and bless that city. Because when they're blessed, you're blessed. And that became our ethos as a church. Before we ever had a Sunday service, listen, we did this. We went to the Santa Clara Art and Wine Festival. And we gave away not hundreds, but thousands of dollars worth of prizes. People said, why are you here? Jesus was good to us. And we want to be a blessing to this community. Are you here to convert me? No. Nope. Then why are you here? They literally couldn't understand. And our goal was simply this. If you were a negative four on Jesus, we wanted to make you a negative three. And if you were a negative three, maybe, you, maybe you'd be a negative two. We didn't pray with anyone. We didn't convert anyone. We wanted to change the impression of Christianity in the most unchurched region in the entire country. Because we wanted to be known as a community, not by what we take, but by what we give. Not what we're against, but what we're for. Do you remember, church? Some of you, you joined our church this last year. You don't remember. Let me remind you of who you are. Generosity is not what we do. It's who we are. You're part of a church that is not only changing San Jose, but the world. In 2018, when we were very, very small, we were probably running 120 people. We gave away that year to one of my good friends, Jeff Moore, $1,200. Now, some of you, that's like Tuesday at work for you. For us, that was a lot of money. And we did it by faith. And I remember being embarrassed because this man had raised hundreds of thousands. But I said, you know what? This is the largest gift we can give. And I'm believing one day we are going to give millions away. But we, did it. we had to start small. Do not despise small beginnings, as it says in the book of Zechariah. We gave Jeff $1,200. $1,200. I would love back, by the way. I'm just kidding. <laughs> totally kidding. But we wanted to be generous because people were generous to start us. And then in 2019, uh, oh, no, sorry, that was 2019. 2020, the reason the picture is blurry, that whole year is blurry. That's why. <laughs> That's intentional, by the way. We 
we gave $5,000 to start a church in Nicaragua. COVID obviously delayed the, the building of that church, and they, they have since restarted. I'm believing not only are we going to Mexico next year, one day we're going to go to Nicaragua. To see the church that you guys gave to build, it's going to be filled with kids from orphanages all around that city, and their lives are changed because of your generosity. In 2021, we went from 1,200 to 5,000, and then in 2021, when we were masked up, vaxxed up, waxed up, whatever you want to call it, the ladies were waxed and vaxxed, ready for max, as I used to say. Such a dad joke. It's the worst year ever. We're outside and wearing masks. Come on. Just a little upset. We gave that year $15,000. $15,000 we gave away. We gave three churches that year $3,000 each, one in Houston, one in Berkeley, and one in New York. They're still thriving, by the way. The next year, we gave $21,000. I don't have a picture for 2021, but this is a picture of 2022. In 2022, we gave $30,000 away in our finances to start five churches. Why? Because generosity isn't something we do. Generosity is who we are. The question is, do you remember? And some of you in this room, you're so strapped. You're so stressed out about your current situation and how little you have. And I want to remind you, stop looking at your problem. And don't let your bank account write your story. Look to the character of God. Let me tell you, this is not just like hype and just theory. I got to practice this myself. How do I know this? Because last year in this building, we saw 99 people say yes to Jesus for the very first time. You can clap for that, by the way. And we saw 21 people go public in their faith. Now, this is the part where what I'm about to share takes faith to share this. We were last year, this same month, running 71 people. And every month we were bringing in $28,000 a month. This, This year, a year later, we are running 135, but the giving went down to 26. So there's this fear. Don't ask for money. Everyone's strapped. The The situation of our country does not determine the vision of this church. And we're going to press through and tear down the gates of hell because Jesus called us to do that. The goal is not to raise 100 grand. If one person in this room writes a check for 100 grand, we have failed. The goal is 100% engagement. Because the goal is to be generous the way that God is generous. Our God's a giver. He loves us so much that he what? He, He gave his son. So if you want to look like Jesus, if you want to follow Jesus, listen, generosity is not an optional thing. So you got to look at your finances, look at your problems, say, God's writing my story. It's his character. And that's why unapologetically I'm inviting you to be part of this. We want to change this building. Because if you paint it, they will come. (laughs) My wife hates that line, by the way. I love it. I love it. And Habakkuk, he's remembering because it's a spiritual discipline. Deuteronomy 4 verse 9, be careful and watch yourselves closely that you do not forget. Someone say forget. forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Psalm 105, remember the wonders he has done, his miracles and the judgments he pronounced. Job 36, remember. Someone say remember. To extol his work, which people praised in song. You will not stumble 
into remembrance. It is a spiritual discipline. And the two things about the spiritual discipline is not only does God command it, number two is this, we are prone to forget. We're prone to forget that God's character is good. You will be so focused on your problem, you will forget the faithfulness of God. Which is why I love Deuteronomy 8. This is a very long section of scripture, but I'm believing by faith it's going to impact you. Be careful. This is God through Moses speaking to the people of Israel. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large, today would be crypto and and everything else, and your RSUs, and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of slavery. Remind some of you in the room, even though this verse was written to the Israelites, God brought you out of depression. He brought you out of anxiety. When you were addicted to weed for a decade, he broke that over you. When, when, you were, when you couldn't say no to porn, he broke that over you. When every night you went to bed with fear and anxiety, he broke that over you. It, it's a different kind of slavery, but he broke that over you. He saved you. Remember, he led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land. You were drinking from the world, but it wasn't quenching your thirst. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known. Oh, I skipped a verse. I forgot to say this. He, he led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. There's a water that God wants to give. I love the words of the great theologian Jim Carrey. I wish everyone was rich and famous and they realized it doesn't satisfy. You can drink from the world and it will not quench your thirst because you were, you were made for one person to drink from Jesus and he's the only one that will quench your thirst. If nothing in this world satisfies, that means you were made for another world. And that's what God is saying right here. That you may say to yourself, my power and my strength in my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember, someone say remember, remember. the Lord your God for he it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. And some of you, let me just remind you to remember what God has done. And some of you may push back and say, you don't know my story. You don't know much. My dad was gone. I, I spent this many years uh, alone, broke. You don't even know. God has never been good to me. And that may be true, that he hasn't yet been good to you. But his goodness is coming. Why? Because David says in Psalm 27, verse 13, Yet I am confident I will see. It's happening. It's coming. It takes faith to declare. I haven't seen it yet, but I know it's coming. Goodness has not shown up in my life. Life has been difficult. My dad was gone. My wife left me. I'm sick, but the goodness of the Lord is coming. In the land, watch this. While I'm here in the land of the living. So many people, Christians say, oh my gosh, one day when you're in heaven. It's like, bro, I want it now. What's the point? of experiencing goodness there if you don't experience the goodness of God here. This is why you can be in jail and still sing to the glory of God. You can be dying in your bed with cancer and still sing praises. Why? Because you can see goodness when you're looking for it. How many of you woke up this morning with breath in your lungs? How many of you can hear me? Just tricking you. You show up in clothes to church, not a body bag. You got a reason to praise. Jeremiah 29, the most popular graduation verse in history. For I know 
the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then, someone say then. Then you will call on me and come pray to me, and I will listen to you. And this is one of my favorite verses. You will seek me and find me. When? Someone say when. When When you seek me with all of your heart, I will be found by you. There are some of you in this room that maybe it's true that God hasn't been good, but I wonder if the person next to you has experienced goodness. I wonder if there's a friend in your life that's experienced. Could you not see what God maybe did for them and give you faith that maybe he'll do it for you? And if you still don't see any goodness, and everyone in your life is ratchet, everyone in your life has not experienced goodness, I can understand that. Maybe you're a Lakers fan, everything sucks for you. I, I get it. Maybe you're a Raiders fan, you're 3-10, and 10. life is awful. But you can read the scriptures, because every word is for you. Every promise is for you. When God says, I so love the world, put your name there. God so loved me that he sent his son to die for me. That's a promise for you. But do you see it that way? That's why Habakkuk says this in Habakkuk 3, verse 3. He's remembering the goodness of God because he has forgotten. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. He had forgotten, but all he had to do was look at creation and be reminded of the goodness of God. And then in verse 9 verse 11 says, you split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and withered. Torrents of water swept by. The deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows. At the lighting of your flashing spear. Habakkuk is declaring out loud, I may have forgotten, but when I look to the goodness of God, I remember. And I wrote it like this, remembering God's past faithfulness helps me trust him for the present and for my future. Some of you need to remember what God has done. And if you don't have stories in your life, maybe the story of David will give you hope. Because there was a time when the Philistines came to Egypt and they said, we declare war on you. And they brought an army of people to the border of Israel. And they said, instead of thousands going against thousands, how about we send one man against your one man? Your best versus our best. And Goliath, this, this giant from the Philistines, for 40 days said, which one of you got the courage to come fight me. And for 40 days, no one had the faith to fight him. And then David showed up. 1 Samuel 17. David said to Saul, if you don't know the story, Saul is the king, and David is this young runt who literally, like a week ago, learned how to tie his shoes. Said, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, are you, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man. Theologians say David is 16 years old. He's never gone to war. This is like joining the Navy SEALs and saying, I can do this. And a week ago, you're eating potato chips, and the next day, you're on a mission to the Middle East. This other guy has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. Struck it down and rescued the sheep from his mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. What God did then, he can do again. He's saying God was faithful when the, when the boar came. God was faithful when the lion came. God was faithful when the bear came. If he was faithful of all three, he'll be faithful against Goliath too. I wonder if you can build faith based on what God did in the past, what he will do again. And watch the faithlessness of Saul. 
When it, when, when it turned on me, I seized it by his hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, oh my. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defiled the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me again from the hand of this Philistine. Now watch what Saul says. This faithless dude. Go and the Lord be with you. I can almost see David like, bro, do you even know God? He's never left me. He'll never forsake me. Even when I don't pray for God to be with me, he's still with me. And that's why you're here scared. That's why I'm going to go fight. I wonder how many of you in this room, you are not walking forward in faith because your problem are telling you to shut up and be silent. When God is saying, if you just look to me and what I can do, I can change your tomorrow. That's what worship does. Worship doesn't change your circumstance. It changes you. Number one, remember what God has done. Number two, trust. Someone say trust. Trust who God is. There's a book I read recently that says the vast majority of Christians are, what call, are called Christian atheists. Which means they declare they believe in God with their lips, but when you watch their life on mute, they're functional atheists. They believe God can heal, but they never pray for healing. They go to Tylenol. They believe God can help them, but they go to a counselor instead of in prayer. And so you declare the goodness of God with your lips, but when we evaluate your life, you live, we live. I'm not immune to this myself. We often sometimes live like Christian atheists. It's an oxymoron, by the way. But I want to acknowledge the tension that when you expect God to do this, and he does that, it will rock your faith. And it doesn't say trust what God is doing. It says trust who he is. I want to ask a question. I don't know if many pastors have asked this question, but I want you to think about what real choice do you really have? It's either trust God or trust science. Let me ask three questions. Tell me when something has ever come out of nothing. I'll wait. Tell me, what has ever been created in the universe that had no creator? I'll wait. Tell me, what has even caused the potential for the Big Bang? I'll wait. I remember when I was a senior in college and my professor in calculus was a secret Christian. He talked about how there are two options in life. That either God created the universe or we're here out of nothing. And imagine, I'm this agnostic looking up to this professor and he said, when you look at all the evidence, there's overwhelming evidence that there's more evidence that God created the universe than we came out of nothing. And I'm like, why is this guy saying this? He says it takes more faith to believe in science than in God. I'm not dishing science. I'm not dishing any scientists. I I was a computer scientist. I studied. I I was trained to think this way. But I want to tell you something science can't give you. This is Italian cake. For those of you who don't know, my wife is not just good-looking person. She was born and raised in Italy. So it's buona noce. Un poquito. I'm learning a little. I'm not. I know. 
But Italian cake, if I gave this to a scientist, they can cut open this cake and they'll tell you flowers in it. They'll tell you there's sugar in it. Some other stuff, maybe chocolate, sweets, yeast, butter, orange peels. Good stuff. But if you ask the scientist, why did the baker make the cake? You could tell me that the world went bang, but why did it go that way? See, science will tell you the ingredients of the cake, but it'll never tell you why the cake was made. Some of you, I don't know why you're suffering. I don't know why your marriage is hard. I don't know why your kid is sick. I don't know why there are loved ones in your family that have walked away from God, but science will never help answer those questions. But there is one who can And he doesn't promise to give you a good life. He promises to hold your hand in the pain and suffering. I remember I had to learn this about God, the way that Habakkuk did. The first time my wife wanted to give birth, she had what was called a birthing plan. She gave it to the nurses and they kind of laughed. I don't want an epidural. And they went, (laughs) because like four hours in, she's like, give me it now. Four of them. And what an epidural does, if you don't know, they go into your spine, and it literally numbs you from the, the waist or the back down. You still have pain. You don't feel it. And so many Christians, they think that's what prayer is. If I just pray, if I just trust God, the pain goes away. God is not an epidural. God's a midwife. He'll sit at your bedside when you're in pain, when you're crying your eyes out, when you're wondering why you're marriage is broken, when you're wondering why you can't pay your bills, when you're wondering why your body's sick and he holds your hand and says, I will never leave you or forsake you. You don't trust God for what he's doing. You trust God on who he is. Habakkuk says, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. You're going to raise up our enemy to beat us, to destroy us? Does that mean I'm going to die? Does that mean my wife and kids are? Does this mean we're going to suffer? Decay crept into my bones, and my legs trembled. God, you're not giving me any of the details. And I love this next sentence. Yet, someone say yet. Yet I will wait patiently. I don't understand. I don't agree with what you're doing, God, but I trust you. Yet I'll wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Down to verse 17. Though the fig fig leaf does not bud and there are no grapes on the vine, though, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food. He's saying my situation is not changing. It's not getting any better. There are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. Yet, someone say yet. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. I wrote it like this. When I got more reasons to worry, I got more reasons to worship. Now I want to show you Habakkuk's song. Verse 18 says this. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. He's not denying his problems. He's not saying I'm not suffering. He's not saying I'm not afraid. But if I can modernize this prayer, it's like I got 99 problems, but my God ain't one. Habakkuk 3, verse 1 is what I wanted to show you from the beginning. This prayer that Habakkuk is praying 
was sung. Someone say sung. He sang it. Because he didn't have the faith to pray it. There are times you won't believe it until you sing it. You will not pray your, out of, your way out of depression. You've got to sing your way out. There are times where you will not come out of anxiety and fear until you sing the goodness of God over your life. And you sing your way out. This is, this is not a worship leader, by the way. This is the guy you see on American Idol the first two weeks where everyone like laughs. Ha, ha, ha. But there are moments where you don't give a damn what anyone thinks. You only care what God thinks. And you will give him what he deserves, which brings me to point number three. Remember what God has done. Trust God for who he is and worship no matter what. And I wrote like this, don't worship God for what he does. Anyone can do that. Worship God for who he is. Don't worship God for what he does for you. Worship God for who he is to you. He's worthy of worship whether he heals you or not. That's why James chapter 1 says this, Consider pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Verse 12, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Hebrews 12, verse 2 says, Fix, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Remember. Do you remember the goodness of God? Do you remember what he did for you on a cross? Which is why 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And if you believe that, Romans 10, verse 13 is for you. Everyone, someone say everyone, who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then Jesus says these words in 1 Corinthians 11. And when he had given thanks, he broke and said, this is my body. When you came in, I hope you grabbed a communion cup because in a moment we're going to take it as a, as a faith community. This is Jesus speaking about the spiritual discipline of remembrance. And there is a sign of that remembrance. It's not just you praying. It's you taking communion to remember. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, it says after supper. So they paused. They paused and they remembered what God had done for them. They paused and remembered how God had suffered for him. They paused how he had suffered on a cross when he didn't need to. He took the cup saying, this is the cup of the new covenant. Is my blood. Do this whenever you drink in remembrance of me. I've heard it like this. If you need strength in your body, would you worship him? If you need an answer to a hopeless situation, would you worship him? If you're waiting on a miracle, worship him. Not, a, not if you get the answer, but regardless of what you get the answer. Would you worship him because he's, there's no God like him? Would you worship him because he's worthy? He loves you and you love him. And no matter what you're going through, will you worship him? But you can't have a Habakkuk 3 kind of faith until you have a Habakkuk 1 wrestling and a Habakkuk 2 shutting up and listening. 
God wants you to get to a point where your situation may not change, but you can declare my worship will. And I'm going to remember, and I remember being in this room in January of this last year. Depression was still there. But I said, no matter what happens, God, I'm just going to worship you. And these songs, I'm not sure if you know this, but the only song we didn't write was the Christmas song. Every song that we wrote this morning, that you sang, was birthed out of the pain that we went through as a church. And we wrote them prophetically so that I don't know what you're going through, but maybe you can sing over your marriage. Maybe you can sing those promises over your family. Maybe you can sing that, those songs over the, the sickness, over what you're experiencing, over a loved one who does not know Jesus, maybe a, a child who's gone wayward. Will you worship? Will you sing? God, you did it once. Will you do it again? Will you do it again? If I can get everyone to stand up real quick. What we're going to do is by faith, in a moment, I'm going to encourage you to take communion. I'm not going to lead you through it. I'm going to let you take it on your own. And if you are a follower of Jesus, this communion is cup is for you to remember what God did on a cross for you. But we're going to sing prophetically these songs and just give it a time. Let it be a moment where you are connecting with God and like Habakkuk, crying out to him in your anger, in your frustration. Maybe in, in, in a marriage that hasn't been healed, an addiction that hasn't been broken, a job situation that has not changed, a financial weight that you can't break, will you still give him worship regardless of what happens? Not for what he does, but for who he is. And when you lack the faith to pray those prayers, we got to do what Habakkuk did. we got to look back and remember like Habakkuk, we need to sing it. We gotta sing our way to faith. Let's sing, what'd you do? So would you do what you once did again in our day? Say it again. And would you do what you once did again in our day, Lord? And would you do what again in our day I want to see your great power in mighty words see you pour it out and see you pour out your spirit upon your church ask him so would you come in this hour come and restore Build up your church, revive us, Lord. Would you do what you once did again in our day? Would you do it, Lord? God, I pray for every person in this room, God, who's in pain, who's depressed, whose situation has not changed. Would you give them hope, God, today? If you're here today and you're waiting on a miracle and you're waiting for an answer and he hasn't, worship him. Sing out to him. Cry out to him. Not because he's changed it, 
but because he's good. And there are others of you in this room. Let me just remind you what God has done for you before you came in this room. When you and I had turned our back on God, God declared he wants to be our God and he wants us to be his people. And he did all the hard work for us to be in relationship with him. He raised up a deliverer like Moses, a one named Jesus who was born sinless, who came 2,000 years ago, who was fully God but then became fully man. And then he did what no other man could do. He's not a prophet. He's not a good man. He's not a teacher. He is God and he's the only way to God. And he died on a cross not to give us a book, not to give us a religion, not so we can come sing karaoke, but for us, he came to die on a cross for our sin, to pay a penalty we couldn't pay. And that God wants a relationship with you. He wants to, to walk with you. He wants to know you personally. And the question is, what do I need to do, Pastor Ali, to be in relationship with him? Simply believe that he died on a cross. That's the work of a Christian, faith every eye closed and every head bowed. That's you this morning. And you're hearing the gospel, the good news of Jesus for the very first time, or you want to renew your heart to him after a long time. I'm going to pray on the count of three for you to shoot your hand up and say, I need that, Pastor Ali. Would you pray with me? I need Jesus in my life. I want to repent of my sin and turn and follow Jesus. On the count of three, with every eye closed and every head bowed, one, two, Three, if that's you, just shoot your hand up. Shoot your hand up. I see your hand. I see your hand. I want everyone to pray this prayer out loud together. Thank you, Jesus, for the gift of salvation. I want to invite you into my life. I receive you, God. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me from the inside out. I, I repent, Lord. I turn from my sin and I trust in you. I receive your gift of salvation. Fill me, Lord, with your spirit and help me, God, walk with you all the days of my life. Can we give it up for the hands that went up in Jesus' name? Hey, thank you again for listening to today's message. If you found today's sermon encouraging, inspiring, would you consider subscribing to this podcast? That way you won't miss the next word that's coming. See you next time.